All right, if you would take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Nathan must have had a cup of coffee just before he came tonight. Luke chapter 1. I guess he has it with him. Anyway, as we continue looking at characters surrounding the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ... Tonight we're going to be looking at a faithful lady, a faithful lady. You know, God uses women too, not just men, but God uses women. Women have many times a very influential part, of course, you know, in the truth, and they have a very influential part in false religion. You know, Revelation 3 talks about that Jezebel that seduces my servants, and compares false religion to a great whore in Revelation 17 and 18. But anyway, that's not, we're not here to talk about that tonight. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse uh, 26 says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, Thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, which, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So title of the message is the reward of a faithful lady. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word tonight. We thank you that we have uh, these things recorded for us in the Scripture, and we thank you that we have record of men and women who served thee, who are faithful, though they had doubts and questions at times, yet they were obedient to the Word that was revealed to them. And I pray that we'd be encouraged and challenged to live likewise. For your glory and honor, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Mary is certainly a faithful lady, an honorable young lady. Of course, she wasn't always young, but uh, and she is highly blessed, as we're going to see that tonight. You know, everybody everybody knows who Mary is. Um, it's become a common name, also, and it was in that day as well. But but there has been a lot of things accredited to her that are not true. She is not the mother of God, as Augustine or Augustine of Hippo 
declared. He was really set down the doctrines on paper as to the for the Catholic Church. But she's not the mother of God. She was the mother of Jesus, but she was not the mother of God. Uh, she was not. She is not. Uh, uh, of immaculate conception, meaning that she was virgin born. Yeah, these are the things that the Catholics have picked up over the years. Uh, they they also teach that she was a virgin all her life, so and so forth. They, she is not co-redemptress, meaning that she is not a co-redeemer with the Lord Jesus Christ or share in His redeeming of mankind. She has nothing what to do, what, nothing whatsoever to do with a man's salvation. None. She was a woman just like you ladies here tonight. She was a sinner. In fact, we'll see that here tonight as well, that she was a sinner. She understood that. But though she was highly favored of Lord, and, but what that tells us is that you and I can also be highly favored of the Lord. God is no respecter of persons. So I want to notice three things tonight. So we consider, first of all, she submits to an unusual request. And I want to notice two things as we think about this. Uh, this unusual request is, of course, that she is going to have a child and she's not, she's not, she's, she's, not, she's unwed. She's never, she's a virgin. She's never known a man. But I want to notice this un- unusual request here. Notice, first of all, her response of fear. In verses 29 and 30, it says, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Now, uh, she, her response to this appearance of the angel Gabriel uh, speaking to her is, she's troubled and she's, she's cast in her mind. The word trouble means to agitate greatly or to trouble greatly. You know, she's, she's like, you know, what is this? And the cast in her mind has, has the idea of to reckon up the reasons or to reason or try to evolve in one's mind or deliberate to, to what is going on here, what's happening. Or what is this all about? That's what she's trying to figure out. So her, her response is natural like you and I would be of fear. You know, anytime in the Bible you, you have somebody... Uh, an angel of the Lord appears, or the Lord appears in the Old Testament, there's, 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 this, there's this attitude or act of fear or trouble, and it's a normal one. Uh, so these are, these are normal, normal things, and sometimes, you know, when the Lord challenges us, there's at first there's a reaction of fear. We're a little bit fearful what the Lord's asking. But this fear is answered with the Lord's assurance, where he says in verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Fear not. You know, the, the word of the Lord is to fear not. You know, if you are favored, she said, you, you have found favor with God. You know, he says in verse 28, Thou art highly favored, and the Lord is with thee. Uh, you know, if you are favored by God, you don't need to fear if you understand who God is, because God is good. You know, this word favor is translated grace 130 times in the New Testament. Six times it's translated favor. 
course, it means goodwill or loving kindness. God is showing His goodwill, His loving kindness to Mary. And, and so, uh, you know, she is favored. So when we're favored of the Lord, we, if we find grace in the eyes of the Lord, we need not fear. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Jeremiah, you know, was told to prophesy to the nation of Israel. And Jeremiah 1.7 says, But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. And be not afraid of their faces. Now, he had some, he had, Jeremiah had a lot of opposition to his preaching. I mean, he got some nasty, a lot of nasty looks. You know, every preacher gets some nasty looks. But, uh, I know, that's the only look you have, but it's okay. Uh, you know, but, but, you know, there's always some people that will give you a nasty look. But he says, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. When Paul went to Corinth, you know, Paul was, or the city of Corinth was a wicked and vile city. And I believe that Paul was concerned for his safety and for his well-being there. As, you know, if you had been journeying with Paul, that's kind of a natural thing that you would be concerned about, whether you're going to be safe or not, you know, in the next city, because it constantly seems to be constant riots. But, but the Lord assured him, he said in, Luke, in Acts 18.10, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. You are, if you are favored by God, if you are under the hand of uh, God's protection and grace, nothing can harm you unless God allows it. Proverbs 8, verse 35 says, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Proverbs 12, 2, a good man attaineth favor of the Lord, but, a wicked, but the man of wicked devices will he condemn. So her response, of course, was fear, but God assured her and said, Look, you are highly favored. My grace has been extended to you, my goodwill and my loving kindness, and you need not fear. But I notice the second thing, a lack of understanding. Verse 31 through 35. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name uh, Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So, you know, her, you know she submits to this unusual crest, though she lacks understanding. She didn't know, how could this be? How could this be? You know, how could she do it? And, you know, really, she's asked here, how can this be? You know, there are things God asks sometimes that seem impossible, that you may seem incapable of. 
But if God asks something of you, He knows you're capable of doing it. Because it's in His strength that we do what He commands, not in our own. You know, if, we're, if, we, if we lack ability, it's because we're relying on our own strength and not on the Lord's. Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. And so there are, there are things that are in the Scripture sometimes that people say is, is impossible. You know, these are kind of common sayings among Christendom. Separation, you know, church discipline just doesn't work. It's not for today. You can't do that kind of stuff today. You know, it's not for us to be able to explain how God works in people's lives. It is simply our duty to obey the Lord, knowing that He knows the end from the beginning. And He will work all things out for our good. Now, I didn't say He's going to work all things out that they would be good for for our good. All, all things that He works out would be good. Whether it's bad or whether it's good, He's going to work all things out for our good. It's not for us to understand or to be able to explain everything. Let me give you an illustration. In Acts 16, verse 6, says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, you know, Paul started churches in the region of Galatia, and then it says, And were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. So Paul was determined that since he'd been through Galatia and Phrygia and all these areas, he was going to go into Asia. But the Bible says he was forbidden of the Holy Ghost. And after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. Now, it doesn't tell us that Paul knew why he was forbidden to go into Asia. Oh, I'm sure there were people there that needed to hear the gospel. Because all men all over the world need to hear the gospel. Or why he was forbidden to go into Bithynia. You know, we still don't know. One day we'll probably know. When we get to heaven, we'll probably, have, you know, you can ask the Lord and he'll be able to give you reasons as to why. But, but Paul did not know, but what? But what he did know was the Lord was going to provide a place for him to go, and the Lord did. The next verse or so it says, and, and he, he saw a vision. And a man over in Macedonia is saying, come over and help us. And immediately they set to go into Macedonia, assuringly, assuredly, knowing that the Lord had called them. So... So we do know that, you know, we don't, again, we don't know why he was forbidden to go into Phrygia or Asia. But we do know that the Lord had a place for him to go. See, sometimes we don't understand, always understand God's ways. Many times we can look back. We can look back, you know, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, oftentimes we can look back and see how the Lord worked in situations that we just thought were bad when we were going through it or didn't understand. But again, it's not for us to really know or understand. It's, it's for us to obey 
what the Lord commands. Look at Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. And again, Mary doesn't know how this, is, how this can happen. She doesn't really know. But she does believe it. And we'll see she consents, consents to it. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if thou wilt, no, notice, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear, like it's like you're bending your ear, Unto wisdom, apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, lifteth up thy voice for understanding. If thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. Notice it says, find the knowledge of God. You're going to search for it. You know, she's searching this out. We, we, we read there that the word cast in your mind means to reason or to revolve, resolve in one's mind. She's trying to figure this out. She's trying to, to search it out. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth, cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment, preserveth the way of his saints. Then... Shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, and from the man that speaketh froward things, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and they're froward in their paths, Deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger, with flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the God of her youth, forgetteth the covenant of her God. So, you know, if we will seek the will of God, to do the will of God, he will preserve us and keep us from the evil man and the evil woman. He'll give us wisdom and discretion to know what not to do and where not to go to protect ourselves. To keep us from evil. And to understand what is right. What is good sense, someone would say. Just plain horse sense. You You see, it's not important, again, that we can explain everything, but that we submit to what we know is right. And And I believe it's like this. When you submit to what God commands you, by and by you will understand. You know, when my children were one, two, three, four, and five, you know, there wasn't much they understood. They were just taught to obey. When they started getting a little older, they started asking questions like, why, 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 you know, and then you start to explain things to them. Because they've, they've come to the, the age where they're beginning to understand and to comprehend the reasons for things. But when they're just little teeter-tots, they don't understand the reasons for things. But one thing they can understand, they can't understand, you obey me. That there are consequences to disobedience. They can understand that. And that's what they need to learn. You know, we need, we, need, we need to be like the little children. We obey God because he says so, and we need to then work at learning why. 
We should search out as to why. Mary's going to search that out. In fact, she's trying to do that. She's resolving it in her mind, trying to figure out the whys here and how. But the important thing is, we obey. Even if the request is unusual. And this is what Mary does. If you notice in verse 38. In fact, he, the angel does give her a little bit of a, of a help with this. Notice uh, in verse 36. And behold thy cousin of Elizabeth. She also hath conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month of her. Okay, you know, you know Elizabeth. Mary, you know who Elizabeth is. She's beyond childbearing years. But she's conceived too. And then he's going to say, nothing is impossible with God. See, what he's, going to, what, he, what he's emphasizing to her is, look, Mary, this is possible because it's of God. And God can do that which is miraculous. He can do that which man cannot do. And then her response is, verse 38, be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So she submits to this unusual request. Even though she really don't understand how it can come to pass, she believes it. The second thing I want to notice here is a willingness to bear reproach. And the word reproach means to find fault or blame or censure. We talked a little bit about this with, with uh, Joseph last week, but we'll see this, I believe, even more with Mary. Uh, in verse 38, again, Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me. In other words, now I'll be with child according to thy word. So here's an unwed young lady who has kept herself pure for marriage in honor to God, and now she's told she will be with child. Of course, that's a reproach in itself. But, furthermore, she would be reproached for the personage of this child. For who she's going to give birth to. This is not just an ordinary child. Notice, I want to notice, look at several things here. Look at verse 32 and 33. Number one, because he was the prophesied king. Verse 31, 32 and 33 says, He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. You know, there's been never a woman before or since that ever had a baby that an angel came to and said, this is the kind of child you're going to have. This is, again, the only begotten, the unique, one-of-a-kind man. God. Son of God. Son of man. And so she says, he shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his Father David, he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So he's the prophesied king in fulfillment to the promise given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. There was a promise given to David, it's called the Davidic covenant, and it says this, And when the days be fulfilled, when thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. In other words, David, you're going you're to die. And then the Lord says, I will set up thy kingdom after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Of course, that's speaking of Solomon. And then it says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Now here's a change. Forever. 
Now, that's not just speaking about Solomon. That goes beyond Solomon. It says forever. Verse 16 in that passage says, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Now that is referring to the millennial reign of Christ, where he's going to sit on the throne of his father, he's called his father David, in Jerusalem and rule and reign for a thousand years. So this was what was spoken of for to, to Mary. He was the prophesied king, the son of David. You know, uh, and he, he gets it from both sides of the family, although, of course, he's not the son of Joseph, but Joseph is in the lineage of David, and Mary is also in the lineage of David. But anyway, so as you think about that, he was a rival. This child will be a rival to the ruling class in Jerusalem and a rival to Rome and a rival to Herod. Can you see where we're getting into trouble? She's going to have some trouble. We know from Matthew chapter 2, Herod tries to kill him soon after he's born. In Luke chapter 20, Luke chapter 20, in verses 1 through 8, he, uh, you know, the, 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 the chief priests and elders, they came upon him with the elders, verse 1 tells us, and then in verse 2 it says, And spake unto him, saying, Tell us by what authority doest thou these things? Now, this is the son of the highest. This is the king of David. And they're asking him, By what authority he doest thou these things? Or who is he that gave this authority? He answered the son of them, I will ask, also ask you one question. Answer me. The baptism of John, was it of, from heaven or of men? They reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then believe ye not him? But if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they persuaded that John was a prophet. And they answered and they, that they could not tell whence it was. And Jesus said unto them, Neither tell you, I you by what authority I do these things. You know, the, 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 the question here is obvious, and, and if, they were, if they would say John was from heaven, then they got to receive Jesus also, for who John said he was. But they didn't want to do that. Nor did they want to say that John wasn't from heaven, because a lot of people believed he was from heaven. You know, they're, they are great politicians. You know, you, know, you know the kind of answers politicians give you? You heard about the guys that were out in a boat? And uh, a couple guys were out in a boat, and one says, do you know where we are? He said, no, I don't know where we are. We said, there's another boat over there. Let's ask them. So they holler, hey, do you know where we are? And the answer came back, yeah, about 300 feet from us. They got an answer, but didn't tell them anything. You know, that's a political answer. Anyway, this is what these guys are doing. Uh, Look at verse 41 through 44 of Luke chapter 2, it says, And after that they durst not, er, and he said unto them, verse 41, How say they that Christ is David's son? And David himself saith in the book of Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Set thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore calleth him Lord, how is he then his son? Now, you know, Jesus asked them, look, if, if Christ is David's son, 
which he is. He's through the lineage of Mary. He's the son of David. He's in the lineage. And yet, how can he be, how can he be his Lord? Well, through the virgin birth. And he makes reference here to set thou in my right hand till I make that enemy as thy footstool. Of course, you know, that's again a reference to the to the reign of Christ. So so he's he's questioning him concerning this. You know, is he is he is he the the to be the king of Israel? Is the king of Israel the Lord? And and again, they wouldn't answer him. They said, We cannot tell. Matthew tells us that. So, you know, the, the bottom line here is the Jewish leaders are more concerned with their political status than they really are by accepting the fact that he is the son of David. Again, Luke 23 and verse 2. Luke 23 and verse 2. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate, verse 1, that began to accuse him, saying, We find this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Now, did he say that he was Christ the king? Yeah, he did. But did he, was he perverting the nation? Was he, was he uh, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar? No, he didn't. None of those things were true. You know, the point is they would not receive him for who he is. Again, John eleven, John eleven, in verse forty-seven, fifty-three. John eleven, verse forty-seven. Then gathered chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, "What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him lust alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider it expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. This spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, not for that nation only, but also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. So they were determined. They were determined. So, so there's this reproach that he's, he's receiving from, from the different, you know, and then from Rome in, Rome, uh, in John 19 and uh, verses 12 and 13. It says, and from henceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend, who maketh himself a king, speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth, sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. So, you know, and again, that wasn't true. So, He's going to be reproached because he was the prophesied king. But he was also reproached because he was the son of God. Notice verse 32 again of Luke chapter 1. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And then again in verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Shadow thee, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. 
He was reproached because he was the Son of God. You know, in John 10 and verse 30, he said, I and my Father are one. And they took up stones to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. Which of those works do you stone me? Jews answered him, saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou, thou being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods, on whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him who the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God? So how can you say, I'm blaspheming, if I say I'm the Son of God? If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe me not, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hands. And then in John 19 and verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law. And as they're saying this to Pilate, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because... He made himself the Son of God. You know, he really didn't make himself the Son of God. He just was the Son of God. In Luke 13, 34 and 35, you know, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You know, though they pride themselves in being the people of the prophets, Yet they were the descendants of the people who killed the prophets. And it's going to culminate with the killing of the putting to death of Christ. You see, this is the reproach that Simeon spoke of to Mary in Luke chapter 2. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 34 and 35. You know, Simeon, when they came to dedicate Jesus into the temple, Simeon, this old prophet, came in who the Lord had promised that you would see the Lord's Christ before he died. And he comes in, and Simeon blessed them, verse 34 says, And said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of men in Israel, for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You see, this, this son of God, this child that you gave birth to, is going to bring sorrow into your heart. Because he's going to reveal the hearts of people. Not just the works of people, but the hearts of people. And they're evil. You know, this, this reproach... That we see here with the Son of God, of course, proceeded with the prophets, continues to this day with God's people. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, 
When they found them not, they do Jason a certain brother under the rulers of the city. This is Thessalonica. And this is, they, this is what they said. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. In other words, these people are causing problems. In Acts chapter 28, verse 22, it was said to Paul, I think of Felix or, or one of those, Festus, one of them, but well, we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. You know, Nero blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome. It was believed he set the fires himself, or had them set. We blame the Christians. You know, God's true churches still bear reproach. The term Baptist sets one apart. It was a name that came about as a reproach. It was considered a reproach. The name started as Anabaptists, which means to baptize again. It was given because the faithful groups of churches like ours, like the, back then the, what they were called the Paulicians, the Albigenses, the Waldensians, and others, they would not accept the baptism of the unfaithful churches, which is really the Catholic Church. And so they were termed in derision Anabaptists or rebaptizers and accused of all sorts of things. The Paulicians were accused that they made cakes of meal and blood of infants. They were, they, they were accused to conduct prayer meetings naked or accused of incest. They taught that they taught marriage was a sin. They, they were also accused that they only believed part of the Bible, and probably the reason for a lot of these things is probably because they rejected like the sprinkling and baptism of infants that the Catholics get from the Old Testament Scriptures. No, we get our church doctrine from the New Testament. And so they were branded as heretics. You know, the, the name Baptist still carries a stigma of separation, of holding to the Word of God as authoritative over man and all religion. You know, the light of the Word really reveals who we really are. You know, Jesus said that uh, they will not come to the light lest the deeds be proved, John 3. You know, years ago I was talking to a, a lady who was professed to be a Presbyterian. She didn't profess to be born again, and I asked her that question, she never answered me. Not that she wasn't educated. She was a school teacher. Of course, you know, educated some of them are. But anyway, uh, but she was Presbyterian, and she said this. And her mother told her, and their little girls, always you stay away from them Baptists. It's like those Baptists have, you know, cooties or something, you know. A couple years ago, I saw a friend from years ago, and, and uh, she asked what kind of church I pastored. And I said, Independent Baptists. And it was interesting, her response. Oh. Oh. Yeah, there's a stigma attached to that name. Um, And we are seeing in our world today, we're seeing Christians spoken against more and more, especially in the Western world. In New Zealand, you're allowed 25 people for an orgy, but not for a church. 
Of course, in D.C. and Michigan, you're allowed to, you're offered a pot for the shots. I'm talking about marijuana. Pot for the shots. You know, however we Christians are a problem, we're starting to see this. You know, the world hates when people think for themselves. Yeah, this is Yale News, and the title is, Unvaccinated White Evangelicals Appear Immune to Pro-Vaccine Messaging. You know, if a person really does think for themselves, they'll be a little bit leery of the vaccine push. Um, you know, and it talks about all the things they're doing to try and promote it, and the and the and the the the, mess, the appeal they're trying to make, community interests of emphasizing vaccination protects others, and so on and so forth. But you know, we're becoming a problem. But Hebrews thirteen twelve and thirteen says, "Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate." In other words, he went outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was considered the religious center of the day. It's interesting he went outside of it where he suffered. And verse 13 says, Let us go therefore therefore, unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. The idea here is New Testament churches have never been mainstream. They've always been considered the people of the world that are just a little bit off. Paul said we're the off-scouring. You know, some people have respect for us, they just don't want to be part of us. And then there's others of, of the world that just think we're lunatics and crazy. But, you know, and it's, you would think that wouldn't be. You know, that's what they thought of Jesus. And Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. Oh, that I would have gathered thee as a hen gathers her chicks. You know, we look at the world and say, Oh, if you just listen to me, I'll give you the gospel so you can know that you have eternal life and your sins forgiven. But you won't listen. But see where the off But I want you to notice thirdly, her promised reward. So she, unusual request, she submitted to an unusual request. She was a willingness to bear a reproach. But we see her promised reward in verse 30. Notice again a couple things here. Verse 30 says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. She was favored. Again, the word favored means has the idea of grace, or received the grace and mercy of God in her life. See, she, had, she was of, the, of, the, of those who believed in the Messiah that was coming. In fact, look at verses 46 and 47. And this is why I said she understood that she was a sinner. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. My Savior. See, she understood that she needed a Savior to save her from her sins. She understood that. She had already received the grace of God. Therefore, she was highly favored. She was favored by God. You know, Ephesians 1 tells us that if we, if we have been 
been saved, we are accepted in the beloved, made one of with Christ. We're favored. But we see also she was exalted by the Lord. Notice verse 48 and 49. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. You know, she was just a commoner, just like you and I. She wasn't of the religious class, the Pharisees, although she was in the lineage of David. Yet at this point in history, the lineage of David was just common people. But he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. That word regarded means looked upon or respect to. It's sort of like it says of you know, Cain and Abel brought their Cain brought his offering, Abel brought his sacrifice, and to Abel's sacrifice God had respect. In other words, he regarded it as an act of obedience, and therefore he favored it. Cain brought the works of his own hands. It wasn't what God asked for or requested, therefore God had no respect for it. You see, Mary was respected by God because she came to God as God commanded. I'm a sinner. I'm willing to repent of my sins and receive the Messiah that is to come. That was, that was Mary. And God highly regarded her. He looked upon her. And then it says, For behold, verse 48, For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. All the generations. You know, ever since that day, look how Mary is exalted. I mean, she's exalted above what is right. That's typical of what men do. You know, I think that's why we don't know where Moses' tomb is. Because the children of Israel would have known where Moses' tomb is, they'd have made a shrine out of it. God doesn't want us making shrines for people to worship at their feet, like the Catholics have done with Mary. Nor did she want that. But she did say, God hath highly regarded me and blessed me. And he that is mighty, verse 49, hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. You know, if God has saved your soul and is using you, he has done great things for you. He's done great things. And we all rejoice in that. You see, though Mary, there was sorrow. There was heartache. Her own soul would be pierced with pain as the result of her being obedient and submitting to the Lord in what He asks of her. Yet she is highly regarded. She's highly exalted. And she rejoiced. You know, we ought to be glad. We ought to, the Bible says we're to serve the Lord with gladness. With gladness. 
See, God can turn those things that are seeming very difficult into something that is very good. But we just need to submit to him and trust him, knowing that he, did, he, he, he doeth all things well, and knowing that he will reward us for our faithfulness.